Hi, welcome back to the Only Cure for Borderline Personality Disorder podcast. I'm Shamala Del Rosario. I'm 53. I'm a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and I've lived with distorted perceptions for my entire life. I had been convinced that there was something fundamentally wrong with me and that I was unfixable. But around a year ago, I stumbled across Brian Barnett and from that moment, my misperceptions began to unravel. So as I continued to do the inner work to root out the underlying subconscious core belief that my feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth and therefore so am I, I'll be using this podcast platform to share my insights and thoughts. I strongly suggest that you subscribe to thelastsymptom.com, which is a free resource that I have had and continue to have the privilege of learning from. And just to be clear, these are my personal experiences and insights. I'm not qualified in any field of emotional or mental health, and anybody that chooses to listen is responsible for their own thoughts, feelings and actions. I hope you're all well. As ever, thank you so much for all of your comments and feedback. I really, really, really do appreciate it. I really, really do. You know, the root cause of borderline personality disorder really is the unhealthy underlying attitudes, those unhealthy perspectives of parents about the true nature of feelings, self and life. And that subtly communicates the messages to children that their feelings are irrelevant and devoid of inherent worth. And by observing parents' attitudes and behaviours and the messages that those attitudes convey, children do adopt their own distorted perspective a distorted perspective that powerfully and negatively affects the they view the way that they view their feelings you know my feelings don't matter my feelings are bad i'm feeling the wrong thing or my feelings bother other people expressing my feelings has always been very awkward for me You know, deciding on the appropriate reaction or response. The appropriate public expression. I second, third, fourth and fifth guess appropriate behaviours. I don't trust my natural response. Natural reactions have let me down before, lots of times. I've both, you know, laughed and cried hysterically and uncontrollably at inappropriate times, and I didn't know why. But today I wanted to talk about laughter and how uncomfortable it actually makes me feel and also what I've discovered about the reason for my discomfort. Most people describe laughter as like um, a visual and an audible expression of a, a number of positive emotional states like joy, happiness and relief. So if you're laughing, you're probably happy, right? Well, well, I don't, I don't laugh at comedy. In fact, I don't laugh very much at all. 
in truth, I don't really get laughter. I mean, I've had a handful of real laughs, though. You know, I mean, belly laughs. Laughing until, you know, until you can barely stand up. Hardly breathe. Laughing so hard that it feels like like all your joints have kind of loosened up and, you, and you're surely going to collapse. Laughing so hard that you know that, you, you know that you're going to wet yourself and there's nothing that you can do to stop yourself. Yeah, I've done that a few times. But to be honest, adult laughter for me has usually been related to when, when something sad or serious happens. All I can think then is, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh. I usually don't think the situation is funny or entertaining either. It's like if I hear news, news of somebody dying or had an accident, my first reaction would be to laugh rather than cry. But then again, I was a professional at keeping crying bottled up. I mean, I'd, I'd practiced that all of my life. Anyway, I knew that I didn't feel comfortable around people laughing either. That was, that was also out of, my, out of my comfort zone. That was something other people did. I didn't get the joke. What if I was the joke? And when I was unavoidably around other people that did laugh, I'd attempt to make an exit, you know, as quickly, as quickly as possible. And if there was no, no escape route and I had no choice but to be involved with this laughter, I'd use um, sarcasm, you know, to play it safe, straight-faced, poker-faced. To be, to be honest, lots of people do think that I'm a cold-hearted, miserable cow. And that's probably because I appear um, emotionless. I don't cry. I don't laugh. I'm stone-faced. I'm Mardi too. <laughs> that, that's true. I do not play well with others. I can play, but on my terms. But if it's likely to get physical, I, I don't want to play. And I, I'm, I'm sure to tell people beforehand as well that I don't want to play. Um, because if it does get rough, we'll fall out because I just don't like it. And I don't want to be put in that situation. I don't like contact sports. I've never tried any, but I don't want to try either. I don't care how much fun people say that they are and how much laughter I see. I'm just, I'm not interested. And so I've been thinking a lot about my, my discomfort with laughter. And you know, I can remember when I was around um, three years old, now I can only I can only describe it as being tortured by my by my father who who tickled me unmercifully whenever he could. I can remember feeling helpless, desperation, wanting to cry, scream, get away, and him there sitting on top of me laughing while he kind of tickled me even harder. He was easily capable of overpowering me. My mother, she never did anything to stop it because, well, after all, I seemed to be enjoying it. I mean, I was laughing hysterically. But it was frequent and it was relentless and it went on for what seemed like forever. And I remember feeling extremely trapped and helpless 
I wasn't enjoying it at all. I really wasn't. Yeah, I was laughing uncontrollably against my will until finally it was over. I wet myself and I passed out at least once and I did cry every time. No, I didn't like it. I did not like it at all. I felt absolutely powerless and controlled. I mean, I definitely did create an outward, you know, illusion that I was enjoying it. And I do kind of wonder now if maybe my parents routinely ignored my my pleas to stop because they were genuinely deceived by, by my laughter. But I don't think so. Because my struggle to gain, you know, self-control, it was obvious and it was humiliating. But this was actually a form, a form of dominance. You know, because I was gasping and, and pinned down. And it'd often end in something like probably like a panic attack for me that left me crying and running away to, you know, calls of nobody hurt you, don't be such a baby. You're only crying now because you're not the centre of attention. Grow up. I tried to train myself to become, you know, so disassociative that I could, I don't know, become immune to this tickling. I tried to tickle myself to practice. Do you know how to do it? But, But that didn't work. And I never did learn to turn off the, the sensations that led to my, but with that absolute loss of bodily control. You know, it reminds me of just gasping for breath while being suffocated and just unable to communicate. The involuntary spasms and that forced laughter make being tickled not, nothing short of nothing short of terrifying. And you know. To this day, I'm still incredibly ticklish. I mean, I hated and I feared it um, being tickled as a child, and I still do. And I'm, I'm super, super alert to preventing, you know, people coming and surprising me with, a, with that unwelcomed prod. I get incredibly angry, you know, and I'd quite easily punch the offender in the face. Um, I'm not normally a violent person, but... With tickling, I've got no no control. I mean, do you have memories of being being tickled as a child? Did you enjoy it, or did you ever feel kind of trapped, maybe helpless or overwhelmed? I knew I didn't like it, and I, I think I honestly did think that it was my fault. I mean, why was I laughing if I didn't like it then? I must have been encouraging them with my howls, you know, the howls of laughter. And it was true that I did only cry when I when once I'd escaped. And was I passing out on purpose, you know, just to get more attention? But what I didn't know back then was that this laughter was a physical reaction that was kind of completely out of my control. My laughter was a reflexive kind of response. So no, there was nothing wrong with me. My feelings weren't betraying me after all. But my boundaries were being violated. And you know, this is really, really big for me. And I can now see how, you know, how tickling could be an invitation to kind of test or violate boundaries. 
because the person being tickled is saying maybe stop and the tickler maybe doesn't respond or doesn't say something like really or so you want me to stop but then just continues you know just continues regardless and you know in society it's almost like we're taught to kind of if you like delight in the in that act of ignoring another person's clearly stated physical boundaries and it's often done publicly you know everybody laughs because well laughter's contagious but it can be so so humiliating but tickling it could be a really good opportunity to teach boundaries and consent because it does doesn't it it requires us to to identify our own boundaries and actually negotiate those boundaries you know in a playful environment one where the children face kind of pressure i suppose to please others who are older more powerful than them and where communication has got to be immediate, clear and respected. I mean, that could mean that we practice giving and requesting consent. You know, because we'd have hands-on experience with boundaries that would provide us with the confidence. So when we're faced with, um, you know, challenging situations later, we could actually handle it because we've already, you know, negotiated those conditions in that safe and supported or supportive environment. I reckon, you know, these skills are essential. And tickling, actually, um, it could be a great way to practice that feelings are, re are respected, you know. Creating that, that solid expectation for communication and consent early. I reckon it means that children would carry those expe expectations into their future emotional relationships. I know that tickling children, it's one of those kind of things that is handed down, isn't it, from generation to generation through families. But I do think that it needs to be thought about more carefully, but it because it can harm a child's perception of their self. I mean, despite maybe there are some parents with good intentions. And I think we've also somehow managed to, to deceive ourselves into thinking that tickling doesn't even have a dark side. But it does. I mean, did you know that forced, um, forced tickle torture was historically, it's been used as an interrogation method to show dominance over others by, you know, abusing, harassing and humiliating people. I know it's perhaps one of the strangest... Um, methods but it can prove highly effective because the tickled person completely loses control over their body and the system enters a state of you know tension fatigue and anxiety and even if it doesn't look as dangerous as being physically abused and assaulted with maybe punches or you know a special weapon designed to for maximum pain but it does it causes real physical and mental, mental distress. So I mean, Chinese tickle torture was an ancient form of torture practiced by the Chinese. I think that was in particular in the, the courts of the Han Dynasty, and I think it was about 200 AD. And that was a punishment for, for the nobility. You know, and since it left no marks, and then the victim could kind of quickly recover quite easily 
afterwards. And forced tickle torture was also used in, in ancient Rome. And with that, a person's feet were actually dipped in like a salt solution. And then a goat was brought in to lick the solution off. And then once the goat had licked the salt off the victim's feet, they'd be dipped back into the salt solution again. And the process would just repeat itself again and again. And then during um, World War Two, there were some Nazi prison guards that were witnessed actually performing tickle torture on an inmate. I mean, that was followed by various other tortures, which did result in his death. I mean, the first game that the SS sergeant and his men played was to tickle the victim with, um, with goose feathers on the soles of his feet, between his legs, in the armpits, and on other parts of his naked body. And at first the prisoner forced himself to, to keep silent. And while his eyes twitched in fear and torment from one of the officers back to the other, but when he couldn't restrain himself anymore, he just finally broke out into a high-pitched laughter that very, tuned, very soon apparently turned into a, a cry of pain. I never tickled um, my children relentlessly like I was tickled. But you know, when I, when I truly analyse my own, my own behaviours, I can see that I too did use tickling, you know, like a, like a magic button or a handy shortcut, you know, to laughter, to change my, my children's moods or the way they were feeling about me, but for the better. I suppose wanting, no, needing, to know that they were happy and loved me. And I forced that reassurance, you know, my perceived reassurance. But it was false reassurance. You know, a light tickle under the arms, it, it would evoke a smile, giggle or maybe a laugh. And that would be enough for me to feel better, to feel that they felt better. Like, for example, when they, they didn't want me to go to work and demonstrated their feelings of sadness. But instead of me actually validating them and dealing with the reality of their sadness, I, what I did was I used, I used the magic button. It made them smile, but it was false. You know, it was a way of me invalidating their feelings, convincing them that they didn't, they didn't feel sad at all. They felt happy because, because they'd laughed and I had made them laugh. Therefore, I had made them happy. It was all, it was all distorted. But I honestly, I'd be really interested to hear whether you guys had any any horrible experiences with tickling and whether you can trace any of your behaviours and thoughts back to it. I mean, it's also making me look at boundaries and, you know, violations of boundaries a lot clearer. But anyway, that's it for me. And I hope that you all have a lovely weekend. I'm not sure what I'm up to, but I hope that you all find, find time to do something nice for yourselves. So, I mean, please do continue to like, comment, share and subscribe. And hopefully we'll speak soon. Okay, take care now. Bye.